This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. The future of mainline Protestantism is a big question mark now, but there's a headline from Religion News Service that may give us a hint as to some of that future. 300-year-old church hopes to connect with spiritual but not religious neighbors. Those are the nuns, the none of the aboves, the religiously unaffiliated. And given the fact that mainline Protestantism has been the source of a significant number of those nuns, is anything really changing? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Are we getting some more clues about the future of mainline or old-line Protestantism? I think what we're seeing is that we've seen clues in the past and now we're beginning to see some actual institutional strategies discussed if i could um make a distinction there in some ways there have been some strategic moves in the past i think evidence of that would be mainline protestant seminaries as they struggle with their numbers and to meet their budgets opening up degree plans for people in non-Christian faiths or in Unitarian, which, you know, some Unitarian Universalists would call themselves Christians, others would not. So I think we've been seeing things for some time, but this article at Religion News Service, which has a lot of good stuff in it, it has some very familiar mainstream media holes in it in terms of not hearing from other people. But this is a a very interesting article, and I think offers some real clues to what will happen to some degree with especially, shall we say, financially well-off mainline Protestant churches. Not the churches that are going to struggle and die out in rural areas in the Midwest or somewhere else, but churches in rich clusters of people on great expensive land in the middle of urban areas, and especially churches which don't have a lot of new members, but they do have endowments from the generations of believers in the past. But what I want you to think about as we go through this, uh, I want to remind our listeners of something that I've talked about, gosh, as long as we've been doing these things and as long as Get Religion has existed. And it's a series of questions that I started using during the 1980s when I was covering battles inside of mainland Protestantism. Anglicans, in many cases, but also United Methodists, more liberal forms of Lutheranism and some other churches. And I came up with three questions, and you ask these three questions, which my colleagues started calling the the TMAT trio. You ask these three questions, and it's not that you're looking automatically for a specific answer, but often as people attempt to answer the questions, you learn a lot about their base theological and doctrinal assumptions. 
And just a reminder to new listeners, those three questions are, number one is, did the resurrection actually happen as an event in real time? In other words, did the apostles meet their Lord face-to-face? It might have been in a form that was mysterious. They might have totally wrestled with what they were seeing or whatever. But did it occur as an event in real time? Question number two, is salvation found through Jesus Christ alone, through grace and Jesus Christ alone? And then the third question, one that's very much of our, our current age, is sex outside of marriage a sin, not a crime, not the worst of sins? Just a basic statement there. Is sex outside of Christian marriage a sin? And if you ask those three questions, you often get some really interesting answers. Now, that brings us to this piece in RNS, because what we have here is an Episcopal church in Southport, Connecticut, which is about an hour and a half, which is kind of long-range commuter distance from New York City. And this church apparently has quite a bit of money and resources, but they decided that they weren't really meeting the spiritual needs of their community, at least how those needs were visible to them. And thus, in addition to their church, they launched something called the Trinity Spiritual Center. And the programs at the Trinity Spiritual Center are explicitly not Christian in nature, or they are not aggressively Christian, or they draw on other faith traditions in explicit ways. When I read this, the first thing that jumped into my head was something that's been around for several decades now. Once again, you ask, are we seeing something happen? Well, we've had this thing for decades that sociologists of religion, working after the great Robert Bella, call Sheilaism, which is people creating their own approach to religious faith and to spirituality based on whatever pieces of different religions that appeal to them or do not threaten them. And they called one woman named Sheila called this Sheilaism. And the phrase that got attached to this was spiritual but not religious. And this is something that's been around for decades. But now we see a church attempting to start an institution and continue that institution as a kind of community center, explicitly based on this kind of a concept. Create your own religion, create your own faith out of the pieces of other faiths and the parts that appeal to you or don't threaten you. And as a uh, former Episcopal priest, who's now an Eastern Orthodox priest, once said to me, he said, at some point you're basically dealing with what he called his image for the Episcopal Church, and this is an Episcopal congregation we're talking about, he referred to it as NPR at prayer, which I thought was a perfect way of describing this to some degree. Did that answer your question to some degree? Well, what I'm wondering is, since mainline Protestantism, according to the numbers that we currently have, is creating most of the nuns, most of the people who come from religious backgrounds and become nuns later come out of mainline Protestantism. 
is anything really changing well, here? Well, that depends on which group of the nuns you're talking about. That that is a relevant thing to discuss. My colleague Ryan Berg, the so the uh, political science professor who we refer to frequently at Get Religion and run some of his stuff from his excellent blog called Religion in Public. Ryan stresses that the nuns are actually three different groups of people. And we talk about them all the time as this religiously unaffiliated was one group of people because we love that big number. We love that big statistic. We're approaching 20, 23 percent of all Americans are nuns. But when you look inside those numbers, you see that you have, first of all, you have atheists and agnostics. And that's a number that has increased, but open atheists and agnostics is still not a large group of people. Then you have the largest of the three groups he refers to as nothing in particulars. And what's intriguing about nothing in particulars is that they're overwhelmingly blue collar. They're not highly educated. He said they have some of the worst economic prospects in American life. They struggle with employment or they're blue collar. They've been hit very hard by COVID since many of them work in the sort of either manual labor or public service things that have been cut back. These are not people who can go home, form an LLC, and do their work from their home on a computer. These are blue-collar Americans. They're not just in New York City. They're all over Appalachia and into other parts of America. And he calls them nothing in particulars. But when you ask them, do you have a particular religious affiliation, they show up in the nuns right next to atheists who might have two doctorate degrees and be on a faculty lounge lunch plan somewhere. Then there's the, the classic spiritual seeker nuns. And these people tend to be white-collar, and they tend to be highly educated. And frequently, these are the people who are driving the entire world of kind of TED Talk, self-help shelf, bookstore spirituality. These groups of people are very heady. They're often intellectual. They're seekers. And frankly, this is what Sheilaism has historically been understood to be. So when we look at the Trinity Spiritual Center, hour and a half outside of New York City, commuter train distance from New York City, in a fairly what appears to be a wealthy, well-endowed Episcopal church, do you think they're probably doing a lot to reach out to blue-collar workers who are unemployed, are struggling with manual labor? Do you, do you think that's the constituency <laughs> group here? So, Terry, what are the strategies we are seeing in these churches, and where does this RNS piece fit in? Well, there are at least three things that we, you and I have discussed, some of them here in the podcast, in the past. But let me go ahead and condense them for listeners real quick. Mostly in the Roman Catholic Church, but in some parts of Anglicanism, like the Church of England, you're seeing what I would call a, a close and condense model which is it's kind of like we can survive with better management. We'll close parishes that are in places that don't have a lot of promise and we'll merge them into others and put things together. And if we better manage the situation, we'll do okay. We'll survive. That's number one. 
Recently, you and I talked about the fact that other churches are saying, well, what if we don't have a whole lot of members left, but what if we rent our building out to growing congregations, usually ethnic, in other traditions or even in our own tradition, ethnic congregations that still do evangelism and do a lot of other things, and then we rent the rest of the building out to uh, nonprofits and social ministry groups, and maybe even in some cases we can tap into tax dollars for certain types of programs. So we'll do kind of a social activism collective model. And then number three, and this is where I think this uh, RNS story fits in. I've been noticing in British papers that people have started talking about the fact what we need is for our church to continue, but then the church will also serve as a kind of intellectual and artistic community arts center for a lot of other different types of programs. And when we do this, it, it won't have to be Christian. It just needs to be spiritual. Uh, it needs to be, and we'll open our arms and we'll embrace all those people who've been going to yoga and meditation classes, and maybe we'll have the yoga and meditation classes in our building, and we'll be the new spiritual arts center. And this is where the phrase NPR, National Public Radio, at prayer, really seems to fit this model, and I'm not just being sarcastic. It seems to be a description of what these people really hope to pull off. There's a, a part of the RNS piece where I can read it briefly. Mark Grayson, a former children's television executive and member of the Trinity Church Vestry, said the idea for the center grew out of some planning the nearly 300-year-old church was doing as members envisioned the next 100 years of ministry. He goes on to say they had a strategic plan. They were looking at the needs in the community. And then he says, more specifically, they saw people in their community and in the broader culture who were looking for meaning purpose and balance in life, said Grayson. But these folks were turning to meditation apps or books about wellness and not to the church in other religious institutions. Quote, there was just this annoying feeling that even if we greatly improved or perfected the model we have now, it wasn't going to respond to the trends that we were reading in the broad population and specifically in our community, he said. Well, the question at that point that you have to ask is, is growth possible within an explicitly Christian theological perspective? Whenever I read these articles, I always want the reporters to look around and try to find out what's going on in the community. I mean, are we to assume that in the suburbs of New York and Connecticut, over in that direction, are there no growing Christian churches? Are there no new churches? Are there no healthy churches in other traditions? Or are there no healthy, growing churches within a, a mainline Protestant tradition? Are there places that are making the Christian message, quote-unquote, work when it comes to reaching out to people? A long time ago, I heard someone say, what makes us think we're going to get people to sign up for our programs and contribute money and give us their time for this new liberal spiritual approach to faith when they can just sit at home, read the New York Times, and listen to NPR? You know, what makes us think that this new vaguely spiritual, non-committal, 
non-doctrinal or all-doctrinal approach. Watch makes us think that that's going to be a model for faith-based community where people sacrifice for each other and help each other. And having said that, let's look back at the TMAT trio for a second. When we look at the Trinity Spiritual Center and the programs that are described in this RNS piece, we can ask my three questions. Is the resurrection a historical event? Well, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be for this center to operate. Is salvation found through Christ alone? I think the Trinity Spiritual Center would argue actively, no, it isn't. We're working with a lot of other spiritual roads to the top of the same mountain. And then you get down here and you also see that they think the church needs to be less judgmental. And so that gets us into the whole sexual revolution and the conflict with the culture on issues of marriage and sexuality. So the third Tematrio question, is sex outside of marriage a sin? I think you're going to actively see the spiritual center slash arts center model say, no, no to that as well. So you get a, a clear no on all three of my questions. And at some point you say, is this going to be a long-term plan to uphold a church, to kind of be a sidebar, a partner to a thriving doctrinally Christian church? Is that really going to work? And if so, we'll, we'll have to watch this in the future. But at some point, if you don't have children, and you don't have converts, and your own children are not remaining active in the Christian faith, at some point the endowment's going to run out. And you may have to face the future anyway. With only a minute here, Terry, how is this any different from the proverbial Baptist church that served fried chicken supper to the community every month and then eventually just gave up on church and became a chicken restaurant? <laughs> I'm not familiar with that model. I definitely live in fried chicken territory, but I've never heard of that happening. I, I know a lot of churches that do valid social ministry, serving the poor and serving food and job fairs and all this, but keep a very traditional Christian faith going. That was the model for Wesleyanism long ago. And I saw a study, I must admit it was decades ago, but it mentioned that if you're looking for the volunteers in a lot of urban social ministries, that you'll often find they come out of either evangelical or charismatic churches. Even if those are charismatic renewal churches, within the mainline Protestant world. So I wanted to see this article, a perfectly valid article about an important subject. But at some point, maybe they could have talked to some local, explicitly Christian churches and asked them, especially growing ones, and asked them, what do you think of this new model at the Trinity Spiritual Center? Do you think it has a future? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation 
at getreligion.org.